0: The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. So we're wrapping up chapter 10 of, of Mark today. So if you have your Bibles, just go ahead and turn there. And I just want to ask a couple of questions before we before we get started to kind of prepare ourselves for this amazing interaction between Jesus and a blind beggar. Um, When in our life, when do we transition from faith to sight? When do we transition from believing that which we cannot see, which we must believe, that which we can't see in order to be saved? Because When do we transition from believing what we cannot see to believing what we can see? We know that salvation is of the Lord and it's given to us by grace through faith. We know that there's nothing we could ever do in our flesh to warrant, to earn eternal life. We know that. We know that salvation is of faith. We just read that it's of God, right? Revelation 7, when I was reading before I prayed. But at what point do we transition from faith in the unseen to the faith in that which we can't see? In other words, we clearly believe that the Bible teaches us that there is no work of our flesh that can ever make us one with God. This is what the Reformation was all about. Faith alone, grace alone, Scripture alone. That's what the whole Reformation was about. So we would, if we believe in Scripture, we would believe that that faith in Jesus is the center of our salvation, of our conversion. But at what point do we transition from faith in Jesus being the center of our life, of our salvation, of our new life, to transitioning into... Looking at the flesh in order to draw closer and closer to God. When when do we transition there? In Guatemala, the predominant evangelical view, we ran into this over and over. The predominant evangelical view is that Jesus saves you. But once he saves you, it's up to you to work your flesh off in order to keep hold of Jesus who has saved you. Because once you stop working your flesh off and you start sinning in your flesh, then you are now separated from God and ultimately ending in a loss of your salvation. I never thought that we could lose salvation growing up, but I have definitely been in the camp of beginning my walk with God by faith, but then transitioning, trying to continue it by faith, not in Jesus anymore, but in my flesh. And how I can behave in order to stay united to God. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Of course, the context there is faith in who? Faith in God, right? So without faith in God, it's impossible to please God. So when and where are we supposed to transition from seeing Jesus, the unseen, seeing and believing that Jesus has died for us, because unless you're really really old you didn't see that with your eyes remember John praised I mean Jesus prays in John 17 he said he prays for those who would come after you who didn't see him with their eyes he prays that you would be strengthened right so at what point do we transition do we make this jump from trusting only in God to now trusting in God plus what we can do in our flesh strangely enough I think that this is answered in Just a glimpse in what we're going to look at in Mark 10. And hopefully in your mind you're thinking, well, wait a second, Walt, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Why would we transition from Jesus alone to Jesus plus something else? And if you're thinking that, you're thinking in the right way. So let's go to Mark 10. And Jesus is continuing this journey that he's been on from Galilee down into Jerusalem for the final time. And he has, the entire chapter of chapter 10, he, he, he is uh, engaging several different characters. Uh, we'll talk about them a little bit further in a second, but w- the first set of characters, remember, from a couple weeks ago was the Pharisees who were trying to test Jesus, right? They were trying to test him with this question about divorce and marriage and all this stuff. And then he was approached by, with this, by this character who was a rich young ruler who rejected Jesus because he loved this stuff more than he loved God and loved Others, and then last week we saw that Jesus, his own disciples, were overlooking what the gospel truly was, and they were trying to have preeminence over each other in the kingdom of God. So this is kind of a frustrating journey for Jesus. I mean, three encounters in a row from from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and. Three of the four, we're going to get the fourth one today, people have struck out in their understanding of really what Jesus has come to do. So I'm going to ask that we pray um, before we start reading. Just pray that God would open our eyes to understand, is there a transition from Jesus' faith in him alone into now let's focus on our sinful flesh or... Does that which start with Jesus and faith in him alone? Are we to continue with Jesus and Jesus alone? Father, I just thank you for this moment. And I don't know, Father, if this is communicating well or not. I just pray, Father, that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes to see. Are we supposed to transition? Are we supposed to move beyond faith in Jesus to Thou? Works of our flesh in order to perfect that which began with Christ? Or is that which began with Christ enough? And that it will transform this flesh, this body of sin. By looking to Jesus and Jesus alone. So God, I just give myself to you right now. My body is tired. My flesh is weak. My mind is even fatigued. My spirit is drained been an amazing week. But God, I I hear Paul saying that he boasts all the more in his weakness because in his weakness, your strength is made perfect. So God, I just pray that you would fill this room this morning with your truth. We thank you, God, in advance for what you're going to do. Opening our eyes to see the beauty of grace in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so let's pick up in verse 46. This is the end of chapter 10. And uh, just yeah, we'll just pick up right there in verse 46. And they came to Jericho. Now, Jericho is on the way from, uh, from Galilee down to uh, Jerusalem. And so Jesus is making his way. And he says, and, and as he, Jesus, was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. I mean, this is a huge entourage of people. They're making their way towards Jerusalem, all right? Uh, Passover is coming in a, in a, in a couple of days. And so it's a mass amounts of people that are making this journey towards Jerusalem. So they're walking with this great crowd. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, and he's the son of Timaeus, because bar in Hebrew just simply means son, right? So uh, bar mitzvah, you've heard that term before, a child at age 12, 13 becomes in the Jewish culture a son of the law. Bar mitzvah, mitzvah being talking about the, the Torah. So the son of the law. Uh, Peter, he was, his full name, right, was Peter Bar what? Bar Jonah, that's right. Well, is that like a, was that next to like, you know, another bar? You know, it's like you got bar this and bar, you know. No, that just simply means bar, son of Jonah. So his name was Peter, son of Jonah. So I'm Walt. Bar Walt. (laughs) That's why dad's name is Walt. (laughs) So it's kind of weird. Um, So uh, so he he explains this for the, the Gentile readers. Remember, this is written to Christians in Rome. And so they probably don't understand the whole, you know, Bar, you know, stuff. So he just says his name is son of Timaeus. And this beggar, this blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, here's what's really cool. This is, and by the way, if you're new with us, we kind of read a little bit, and then we talk about it, and we read a little bit more, we talk about it, and and, and that's kind of our MO. So this is the only person in Matthew, Mark, and Luke whom Jesus heals. I give away the story, sorry. He's going to heal this guy. Um, He's the only guy that he heals that is named. It's pretty cool. Now, in, in John, the book of John, we know that, uh, Malchus, his ear was cut off, right? And and the servant and, uh, of of the um, of the uh, temple, and Jesus healed his ear. But outside of that, this is the only guy who Jesus heals and he's and, and, who is named. So this is pretty serious. This is a pretty big event. Uh, the this blind beggar Bar Timaeus, and by the way, Timaeus is Hebrew for honor. So think think of the irony of that. Uh, I said Hebrew, I think it's Greek, sorry. It's, it means honor. So this son of honor is sitting where? On the side of the road, begging for money. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? The son of honor is sitting there hoping for somebody to just walk by and put a, a coin in his cup. We saw this in Guatemala quite a bit. Not necessarily blind beggars, but beggars all over the place just wanting some 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 money, just wanting something to eat. And this blind Bartimaeus, son of honor, is of a, no honor whatsoever as he's sitting here, just hoping that somebody would give him some food. And Mark makes a big point that he is sitting by the road. He's sitting by the roadway. He's not even sitting on the road, right? He's on the ditch, on the sideline, marginalized, just hoping for somebody to give him something to help him. So this son of honor sitting there just waiting in complete darkness. He's blind. He can't see anything. Just hoping that somebody would come by and help him out. Verse 46 says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he, Bartimaeus, began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, so somehow this blind beggar that Jesus knows that Jesus is on, his, on is coming through. I don't know how his word probably gets spread. This is big entourage of people coming. Jesus and the plethora of the people who are coming with him. He hears that it's Jesus, and somehow he knows he connects Jesus with the Messiah. Now I don't know. Mark doesn't explain how that happens, but but Mark, but there is a plethora of Old Testament prophecy that that. that explains how the Messiah and from where the Messiah is going to come. And some of the biggest, most important prophecy is that the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. And by the way, David means uh, beloved. So the son of honor who's sitting there blind and begging is crying out to the son of the beloved, asking for help. And so he must have believed the Old Testament To the point where he knew that the Messiah was coming through David. And he must have heard what the Messiah had done thus far. That he had healed people. That he uh, he must have heard his teachings. He must have heard something. Because he he hears that it's Jesus coming. And he's sitting on the road. The road between Jericho and Jerusalem. And he cries out. Jesus. Son of the beloved. Have mercy on me. Now this is a very. Ironic, beautiful, disturbing scene. Okay, the entirety of Mark 10, I just said it a second ago, started off with Pharisees who had two perfectly good eyes and could read perfectly the same Old Testament. And they, at the beginning of chapter 10, were trying to test Jesus, to trap Jesus, to discredit Jesus. Then you had the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've done the entirety of the law perfectly. What else do I lack? He has two really good eyes, all sorts of wealth, all sorts of fleshly pleasures. And yet he walks away from Jesus because he embraces his stuff more than he wants to embrace the reality of Jesus. And then Jesus' own disciples, right? Remember last week? His own disciples are arguing amongst themselves of which one of them could sit at the right hand of Jesus in heaven. And they're thinking, hey, could I do this? And and, and Jesus, you grant me this, you know, first come, first serve, right? I mean, I'm here. I asked first, you know. I got fives. You guys play that game? I got fives on my seat, you know. I don't know. That's what we call it, fives. Um, And so people with perfectly good eyeballs are totally missing it people who can perfectly read the same prophecy of the old testament completely missing it but then you've got this beggar right with nothing living totally on the grace of others who would give him a coin or give him some food or give him a piece of bread who who has nothing to offer in total blindness crying out the truth Jesus is the long-awaited son of David, crying out for mercy. He doesn't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, look at all I've done. <laughs> hey, Jesus, can I sit next to your right hand? He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, i got a quick question for you about marriage and divorce. He just says, Jesus, you're the one. Jesus, I can't see you with these eyes, <laughs> but I know. I believe that you are the only hope. You are the only one. You are. The long-awaited, anointed one. You are the Messiah. So, against this uh, frustrating series of events with these other three people, these other three scenes, this blind beggar, this son of Timaeus, the son of honor, this blind beggar is sitting on the side of the road calling for the son of the beloved, son of David, who is the promised Messiah. He is calling him. Saying, have mercy on me. This Jesus who is walking. Isaiah talks about the Messiah walking towards the cross, walking towards Jerusalem with his face set like flint. He he, he knew where he was going. He knew his mission. He was set with his face like flint on the prize, the cross, the redemption of sin. And Bartimaeus says, hey, on your way there, you have mercy on me. This blind beggar sees clearly. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Isn't that ironic? The blind beggar sees clearly, whereas people with good eyes are blind. I don't think there's any clearer picture in the book of Mark than what faith looks like, than this right here. I was reading one commentary, and it says that this is the model disciple. He doesn't need eyes to see. Verse 48. Now you got the crowd, right? You got. People, this is funny. Verse forty-eight, uh, and many rebuked him. Okay, so you got this blind beggar, like hope, is walking in front of him, <laughs> and he's crying out, saying, "Have mercy, have mercy!" And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The crowd attempts to silence the son of Timaeus. They were convinced that that this man walking in front, Jesus, had no time to invest in this poor, miserable soul of Timaeus. Their rabbi, their teacher, Jesus, he didn't have time to waste on this this blind beggar. The son of Timaeus was a nuisance. He, He was nothing to them. He was a bother, right? So he sits on this road day after day, just begging for money. And this is a major thoroughfare between Jericho and Jerusalem. So thousands of people are walking this every day especially during this time where it's Passover is coming. They're walking this road, and they're, I'm sure, just tired of the same beggar. They're every single day begging for their money. I can hear the crowd shouting at them, and, and, and I just want to be transparent. I could see me saying to him, shut up. He's not here for you. He's 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 he, this isn't for this is for those who who are blind and begging. These are this is for the people who've made something of themselves. He's not here for you. Be quiet. Person after person, saying, Just give up, Bartimaeus, just be quiet. But what does the son of Timaeus do in the face of such adversity? What does he do? He reading that verse. He says, But he cries out all the more. Amen. Right? He cries out all the more, Son of David, Right, have mercy on me. The beloved, you who are beloved, have mercy on me. Isn't that cool? His response was to cry even louder. I mean, this was his chance. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, is walking in front of him, walking towards Jerusalem for the final time. And He's not going to come walking back. He doesn't walk back. Jesus doesn't walk back out of Jerusalem. He appears different places, but he doesn't walk back. He walks to Emmaus, but that's a different road. And so he knows this is his chance, and he cries out all the louder. If if, if you want to see grace in action, read closely with me, verse 49. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped in his tracks. Though his face, like like Isaiah says, is set like flint, knowing where he's going with his mission to eradicate sin. He knows where he's going. He stops in his tracks and says, call him. Bring him over here. And How cool is this? And they, the crowd, called the blind man and say, take heart. Get up, he's calling you. Now I don't know about you, but that just sounds like what were they just saying? <laughs> right? They're just saying, hey, just shut up, he's not here for you. Be quiet. Hey, you're ruining the party. This is this is about Jesus, not about you. The, leave him alone. And now they're saying, Hey, take courage, be be happy, take heart. He's calling you. Man, what what a perfect person. Picture, picture of the fickle nature of people. If if you listen to the crowd and follow their voice, in just a matter of minutes, the crowd's going to be doing something different. Bartimaeus' focus wasn't on the crowd. It was on the Christ. And he wasn't going to let anybody stand in the way. They were just telling him to buzz off, and now they're telling him to cheer up. I mean, fickle. So imagine Bartimaeus' Heart. Imagine his mind when he hears the words, hey, he's calling you. He's calling you. Well, what is his response? He throws off his cloak, he springs up, and he comes to Jesus. Now, I've been told, and I don't know this personally, obviously, but I've been told that in this first century, the most most prized possession for a a beggar, a blind beggar, is their cloak. Now, I don't understand that, right, because I'm not a blind beggar. But what I've heard is that a cloak is one of the most prized possessions because in the coldness of the night, what's the only thing they have to keep warm? They don't have a fire. He's blind. He can't make a fire. He'll burn himself. He doesn't have neighbors and friends and family to, to, to snuggle up to a wife for warmth. All he has is what? You can say it. His cloak. And in the heat of the day, when the sun is scorching, He he doesn't have a house to walk into. He doesn't even know where the shade tree is. He's blind. What's the only thing he has to protect him from the heat of the sun? His cloak. So the cloak is one of the most prized possessions of a blind beggar. Or so I've been told. That's not true. Take it up with someone else. I don't. That's just what I've been told. It makes sense, right? But what does he do with this prized possession when Jesus calls him? He casts it off. He throws it away. Compare that to the rich young ruler who came to Jesus just two Sundays ago when we talked about him. He wasn't willing to let go of his stuff because he loved his stuff more than he loved God. But this blind beggar casts off everything that he owns and runs to Jesus. He knows that he doesn't need it anymore because he's going to be able to see in a couple of minutes where the shade tree is. Right? He knows, I don't need this cloak anymore. It's not of value to me because in a couple of minutes I'm going to be able to build a house. I'm gonna be able to get a job. I don't even have to beg here on the side of the road any longer. The cloak, it was gone. And Jesus says to him in verse fifty-one. We're almost done. He says, "I." Uh, he says, uh, "Sorry. Uh, what do you want me to do for you?" Now, shouldn't that be obvious to Jesus? I mean, he's a blind beggar. Should, I mean, I think that should be obvious. I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of David, right? I mean, he he is the Messiah. Okay. Jesus does not ask this question for his benefit. I'm convinced because he knows. But Jesus asks this question for the benefit of those standing around. Remember the crowd? They were just saying, hey, shut up. And he asks this question for your benefit, for my benefit today, 2,000 years later. What do you want me to do? Because I think Jesus wants us to hear the response. And the blind man says to Jesus, Rabboni. And I know it says here on the screen, Rabbi. That's a bad translation. We'll get to that in a second. Rabboni. Let me recover my sight. He just wanted to see. Here's what I mean by this being for your benefit, for my benefit, for the benefit of those around. The term that Bartimaeus uses is not rabbi, as translated here, but if you have like a New American Standard version, it'll say Rabboni, which is a different word. It comes from a similar root, but it's a different word. Rabbi just simply means uh, teacher or master. There are many rabbis. There still are. You might see them on a panel on Fox News or something, or CNN, you know, Rabbi so-and-so, you know, and he'll, he'll be representing a Jewish culture or something. There's, there's tons of rabbis. There's tons of teachers. There's tons of masters, if you will, in that sense. But there was only one, there was one word that scribes and lawyers of the Jewish law would use to describe God when talking about God being their teacher, God being their master in this sense. Guess what word that is? Rabboni. My master. My teacher. So, Right here in the middle of this road, as Jesus is walking to Jerusalem for the final time, this blind beggar is declaring that Jesus and Jesus alone is who? God. You see that? He's saying, Rabboni, the one whom we only, this label we only give to God, I give to you. Because I believe that you are the long-awaited Messiah, God himself. In the flesh. So Jesus asks a question. That he already knows the answer to. But so that the people around him. And so us today can see the faith. Of this Bartimaeus. He asks them this question. And Bartimaeus. This blind beggar. Living complete in darkness. He calls Jesus. God. Rabboni. Again this blind beggar. Sees already clearly. Right? He already sees Jesus clearly. Bartimaeus doesn't need physical eyesight to see better what he already sees. He already sees Jesus perfectly for who Jesus is. God himself. He sees clearer than anybody in the crowd. He sees clearer than the Pharisees from the beginning of the chapter. He sees clearer than the rich young ruler from the second part of the chapter. And he sees clearer than his own, Jesus' own disciples in the third part of the chapter. This blind beggar with no good eyes sees Jesus clearly. So here's my point. Bartimaeus already possessed the sight that Jesus had come to give the world. Bartimaeus saw Jesus, that he was God. That Jesus was God now in the flesh, walking in front of him. And to prove Bartimaeus' claim that Jesus is God, Jesus heals him. He gives him physical sight, which Bartimaeus does not need in order to see Jesus clearer. He already sees him perfectly. And so verse 52, Jesus says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he, Bartimaeus, recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus did not see Jesus any clearer after his physical sight was restored. But it was evidence, his physical sight was evidence that Bartimaeus already saw Jesus for who he is as God. Isn't it cool here how Mark ends this chapter? He says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Where was Bartimaeus? You guys can answer. Where was Bartimaeus? I'm sitting in a stool, so you can answer. <laughs> uh, what, where was Bartimaeus when he first met him? On the side of the way. And the word for way and road in Greek, it's the same word. Okay, so when Jesus says, "I am the way," you say, "He, I am the road. I am the path." All right, it's the same word, and it's the same word here. So he was on the side of the road. Now he is on the road. Isn't that cool? He was marginalized, All right? Set apart. He was. He was. He was uh, of a different uh, class, and now he's on the road. That's so cool. Uh, he went from being on the side of the road to now on the road. And, and he walks, he follows Jesus. Let's remember real quick, and if you want to flip your page, if, you're, if chapter 11 starts on the next page, look ahead real quickly. What happens? That Where are they walking? Somebody tell me. They're walking to Jerusalem. And what happens as soon as they hit Jerusalem? Anybody? Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry. So here's blind Bartimaeus who has for, let's just assume years, sat on the side of the road begging people who have been walking to and from Jerusalem for money. And now Jesus, the son of David, walks in front of him, and he cries out, son of David, have mercy on me. And now Bartimaeus gets off the side of the road, he's on the road, and he himself is a part of the entourage that is walking with Jesus into Jerusalem. And Bartimaeus, I can just hear him now. His voice is probably one of the loudest voices that is shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. The beloved. Hosanna in the highest. Isn't that cool? I mean, Bartimaeus is there. He's following. He's a part of this. He is exalting the very Jesus himself himself He's a part of the prophecy from the Old Testament that said that Jesus will enter on the fold of a, of, a, of a donkey. Bartimaeus is a part of prophecy. Bartimaeus. Now, Richard, next week, he'll get into the details of what they were actually thinking and all that stuff, you know, as far as the triumphal entry next week. But I think that's awesome that this marginalized character who was outside of the scope of society is now a part of Scripture that we think about and we celebrate every single year a week before Easter. Bartimaeus, maybe he ran back and got that cloak and laid it with the other cloaks on the ground for the donkey to walk across. It's beautiful. So what in the world does this have to do with us today? Now, this is awesome, right? But what does this have to do with us today? And our journey market and what we do with these journey markets is kind of like, this is what we want you to take home, okay? Okay. Our journey marker simply is seeing begins with believing. Okay? He already saw clearly. Not with these eyes, right? But with this heart. He already saw who Jesus was. He believed. And that gave way to physical sight. The the phrase, "I, I have to see it in order to believe it, is huge. That's living by sight and not living by faith. Uh, Somebody give me uh, a two-word description of the disciple Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He will always be remembered by the phrase Doubting Thomas because when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't believe it. He even said, I've got to see it. I've got to put my hands where Jesus' nails were. I've got to put my hand in his side where the spear was. I've got to see it in order to believe it. So forever he'll be named Doubting Thomas. Bartimaeus will never be titled, Doubting Bartimaeus. For the son of honor, who was blind and begging, cries out to the son of the beloved, and his sight is restored. His honor is restored. And he now joins in the celebration of Jesus as the Messiah. One of the typical applications of this story that, that we hear a lot, and it's good, is that um, it ends with, you know, if it's being preached, a typical application ends with the preacher calling you, calling me to believe in Jesus, and he opens up our blind spiritual eyes. And that is a great application. And in fact, if you today do not believe in Jesus, I beg you, I call on you to believe in Jesus because he takes your blind spiritual eyes and opens them. To the reality of who he is. So I join in that application. I join in that cry. To believe in Jesus. But there is another element of application. That I want to hone in for a couple of seconds. As we wrap this thing up. And that's the questions that we led with at the beginning. If you remember. At what point are we supposed to transition from trusting in God. And the work of Jesus that unites us to him. At what point are we supposed to transition from believing in God, Jesus alone, to then transition into trusting or working or believing in our flesh in order to achieve godliness? If seeing begins with believing, where do we go after believing? Do we just go back to seeing? Seeing in the flesh? Seeing what we can see with our our eyeballs? If we're saved as a result of grace through faith, then where do we go? Where do we promote after we're saved? I'll just cut to the chase, okay? Your salvation began with grace through faith and grace through faith is where you will always be. There is no transition. There is no graduation. There is no improvement upon faith. And faith alone. But here's what so many of us do. We claim that grace through faith at our conversion. But then, like I did for years, we live not by grace and not by faith, but we live by sight in this world. We think that we can actually perfect our salvation by doing certain things and not doing other things. For whatever reason, we buy into this trap that we have, even though we've been rescued by God and been transferred from this kingdom to his kingdom, we think we buy into this trap that we think we can improve that by trying to sweep up the filth in this old kingdom of darkness. But here's the problem. This kingdom is broken, right? This body is a body of what? Of sin. It's broken. That's why we've been rescued. That's why Jesus came. He came to free us from this kingdom, to free us from this world. We must see this, that we, we began through faith and we continue by faith. It's just that simple. We don't graduate to something else, right? Habakkuk, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, all say it plain. Plain as day. The just shall, what? Live by faith. We live by faith. We live by faith. We walk in this world by the faith that we already reside in another world. Of all the churches that Paul wrote to, one of the churches that struggled with this most, that struggled with the good news that we aren't just saved by grace and then we promote to, you know, living by works, was the the churches in Galatia. They struggled with this. Paul preached to them the gospel. They believed the gospel. Then some other people came and said, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus doing all these things. And so they thought, man, what began with Jesus now has got to be perfected by us, by what we do in our flesh. What's wrong with our flesh? Our flesh is wicked. Our flesh is sinful. How could our wicked flesh ever perfect something ever? (laughs) It can't. It only makes it worse, if anything. In Galatians 2.20, Paul hammers this truth. He says, I have died," he says. "I have been crucified with Christ, meaning I have been cut away from this world. Nevertheless, I live, and the life I now live—help me out—I live by faith. Wait, so he, he doesn't live by 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 doing works in the flesh to make God happy. No, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." You see, the Galatians thought that they needed Jesus plus the law in order to truly be in fellowship with God. And the entire letter written to the Galatians, and you read it for yourself, right? It's in your Bible. The entire letter is written to correct this false belief. In fact, Paul goes as far as to say that the law came for a temporary time In Galatians 3, he says, the law came until the promised one came. Has the promised one come? You better believe it. Has the law ended? You better believe it. The Galatians thought that what began with faith in Jesus would be perfected by keeping the faith. And over and over, I mean, by keeping the law. And over and over, Paul corrects their misunderstanding and teaches them that they are dead to the law. They're dead to this world, but alive to Christ. He even calls them bewitched. He says, who's bewitched you? Who's cast the spell over you to think that that which began by the Spirit is going to be perfected by your flesh? Seeing begins with believing. One of the most radical thoughts in Scripture is the thought that the very things that we can see with our eyeballs, God himself calls the kingdom of darkness. Think about that. What we can see, God calls darkness. But the very things we can't see with our eyeballs, God calls the kingdom of light. Let's think about that for a second. That's radical. There's only one way to live in that light. Because we can't see it with our eyes. We live by faith. We live by faith. Bartimaeus, on the side of the road, blind as a bat... Living by faith. Oh, there's Jesus. I believe. And God grants him his wish. The more and more we believe what Jesus has done for us and in us, the more we'll see the reality of that grace at work through us. The more we believe, the more we'll see what God has actually done in us. We won't see it with these eyes necessarily, but we'll see it through the very eyes of the Father himself we're going to wrap up this morning with the lord's supper we've got our bread and our cups set out here and jesus tells us that when we do this we are to remember his work on the cross we're to remember that his body was broken and that his blood was shed none of us that i know of were physically there when that happened but in some mysterious way We who believe were there just as Paul says he was there. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been buried with Christ. We have been raised to walk in the newness of life. So God calls us to remember this, to remember that we've died to this world. Remember that we've been cut away from this body of sin. And to remember that his blood has washed us. It has cleansed us. To remember that we have been raised a new creation in newness. And all this is a faith. It's not by sight. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. In fact, there was a church in Corinth that when they came together to do this Lord's Supper, they were, um, many of them were actually getting drunk. And they were making a mockery. Of this thing of the Lord's Supper. And they were a very wicked church. There was one guy who was sleeping with his father's wife. They were suing each other. They were um, doing all sorts of diabolical things in the church. And so Paul writes a letter to correct this stuff. Because he said, this isn't Christ. This is is the, the works of your old man. This isn't the new. So he writes to correct them. But does anybody know what the very first thing that Paul says to them to correct them? Does anybody remember? It's in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. He reminds them who they are. Read it for yourself. But verses 1 through 9, Paul reminds them these wicked in the flesh, like people that we would be like, uh, I don't think you should be a part of life journey. You know, I mean, in the flesh, wicked. But Paul reminds them of who they are. He reminds them in verses 1 through 9, he says, You were called by God. You have been sanctified by God. You have been called into fellowship with the saints. You are not lacking anything from God. You are guiltless, he says. You are in fellowship with Jesus. What is he doing? He's reminding them of the gospel. He's reminding them of what Jesus has actually done inside them. And they need to remember that because out of a knowledge of that, out of a renewal of that in their minds, they begin to live like it. Now, he goes on to correct the things that they're doing, but he starts with saying, guys, you've got to remember the gospel. He tells them, you have been washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we must believe the gospel, guys. Faith does not stop at conversion. In order to see the Christ who's now in us, lived out through us, we must continue to believe the good news that we have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified in the name of Jesus. So as we come to the table this morning, Bethany's going to come and start playing some music. Um, I encourage you to take your bread, to take your cup, to go back to your seat, to go to a corner, wherever, And just simply ask God to help you see who you are for who he sees you are. Help you see yourself as washed, as sanctified, as justified. Trust me, it's hard to see. Because all we see is darkness. But we have been rescued from this darkness. And we now live in the kingdom of light. Your body, my body, will continue to sin over and over and over. But we must believe the good news. The good news is that you have been rescued from this world. You've been rescued from your body of flesh. And you now are united to Christ. He is your identity. He is your hope. He is your life. So we're not just saved by faith. We are. But we walk. By faith. If you have any questions about this walking, this living by faith, I'll be probably in the back. If you want to come and ask, that's fine. Maybe you've never placed your trust in Jesus. Can I beg you to believe? To believe on the one who paid it all. To believe on the one whom we'll sing about here in a second, who has rescued you. There's no one else. Jesus alone. If you've never taken communion with us, what we, what we do is um, you just come up to the table. I'm going to pray. You come up to the table. And you just take a piece of bread and take a cup. You can go back to your seats. You can go to a corner with your family and just spend some time praying, asking God to open your eyes, asking God to believe. Help me believe who I really am. As you look at the bread, remember the body of Christ that was broken for you. As you drink the cup, remember the blood that was shed to wash you. This does not wash you. It's the remembrance of the fact that you are washed if you believe. So if you don't believe, believe. Change your mind and believe. So I'm going to pray and the table will be open. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the attention of these, your saints who are been listening and I know that I'm tired and I hope though that the beauty of this text has been communicated that it's not sight that gives way to faith it's faith that gives way to sight God thank you for Bartimaeus thank you for this final miracle of honor being returned to a son and God we Through you are become honored. The very righteousness of Christ, adorning as a crown over our heads. We are robed, as we read in Revelation 7, with robes of white that have been washed. So, Father, as we take this time of communion, God, I just pray that we would cry out to you, asking you, Father, to help us believe. To no longer listen to the crowds around us that say, You can't believe that you are set apart. You can't believe that you've been made holy. Look at your flesh. Look at who you are. Look at your your, your your what you can see. But God, help us to look beyond that. Help us look through the veil to where the anchor lies. And that is you. We been crucified with Christ the life we now live we live by faith in the Son of God so God I pray that this means something to someone today that we walk by the same faith that we've been called to in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please, do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.